Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. All right, how was your week? Well, I'm very excited to see you guys again. Praise the Lord. Now, this is the last Sunday this month. And the teaching theme for this month was and still is flourish growing in the word of God can you say growing in the word of God hallelujah and if you don't have a big picture perspective you will not see how every single sermon was tailored to birth that flourish experience in your life but there is a big picture perspective. This month, we treated how to understand the Bible. We even went a step further to do a commentary of Ephesians chapter 1. Hallelujah. I know traffic has hindered a lot of you from coming for midweek service, but never stop trying. Because a lot of good stuff happens there. Praise the name of the Lord. And we even talked along the lines of spiritual warfare last week Sunday. Were you blessed? I heard you had a great time. How that the devil's number one strategy has always been to attack your conviction in God. His number one strategy is not a fight against your health, not a fight against your finances, not a fight against your romantic relationship. But he's trying to steal your conviction in the word of God. You see that? And so today we're going to take a step further and share something very important. I know it's Children's Day, all right? And mind you, what we're discussing today, it concerns children a lot, and you're going to see that in a bit. All right, second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, everybody read together with me one to go. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Read it again one to go. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Hallelujah. So he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's serviceable, it's useful, it's meant for doctrine, for reproof. Greek word elentials, which actually means evidence, should have been translated proof, not reproof. For proof. So my evidence about what is right or wrong comes from the scriptures. Say loud, amen. amen. It says for correction. For instruction in righteousness. Listen to this. Spiritual growth is for the teachable. Did you hear what I said? 
If you are not teachable, you cannot grow spiritually. Because spiritual growth is for the teachable. Scripture is given for correction. For evidence. My evidence about right or wrong does not come from tradition. It comes from the scripture. Listen, as basic as this is, a lot of people stumble on these simple points. When you come to a point where you can boldly say that your entire devotion in the Lord is influenced not by what you see people do, but by what the Word of God says, then you're growing. So, many people who have been in church too long never ask why. Why do we do what we do? And the ability to ask why is what differentiates you as someone who is not just traditional and religious, but as someone who is a student of the Word of God. Every student of the Word of God has that loyalty to the Word of God, even above tradition. Praise the Lord. It's easy to find people who are not yet loyal to the Word. The moment you begin to teach something that combats their tradition, they begin to feel that pinch. You know, they just become... Have you seen people like that? They just want you to say what they are comfortable with. I mean, even in church. Many people come to the local assembly with their own ideas. Let's just worship and go. Hallelujah. And I can give you a million and one examples. But check yourself. Why do I do what I do in my devotion? Where did I learn it from? What if I chose to pray the way the early church prayed? What if? Just imagine Paul leading prayer and say, Say with me! First of all, before I lead this prayer, we're going to shout hallelujah seven times. Which is not wrong. Praise the Lord. But when it begins to enter some realms, where you're asking demons to somersault and die, you're asking demons to die, you know, some things that should be simple, and that's why I've said it time and again, that you are better ignorant than misinformed. You are better ignorant than misinformed. Because if you were ignorant, I just teach you the word of God, or when you hear the word of God, you, you just believe it and move on. But when you keep hearing the wrong things, it becomes a stronghold in your mind. You learned about that last week, didn't you? It becomes a stronghold in your mind, and it becomes difficult. Has it ever happened to you that you learned something in the Word of God, you were persuaded by it, but it still took you time to adjust? That's, that's how strongholds work. 
when you learn, okay, I shouldn't be praying this way. But sometimes you, you just you get carried away and just say, you know what, Father? <laughs> Hallelujah. How long did it take you to believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and act like it? You know one way to know that you believe that message is how you pray. How do you approach devotion? You know, we are so configured by reflex to think about what we've done and what we've not done when it's time to pray. Some of you are still doing that today. And so when you know you've not, you know, you're good, by your own estimation, your prayer is more confident. So it takes time. You see that? I remember the first time I taught this simple thing in the Word of God. When you say, let me see if you've been in church long enough. Usually when someone says, I plead the blood of Jesus, how do you respond? The blood of Jesus. <laughs> and, and then, the moment you just ask, why? Some people are already, what do you mean? Are you saying we cannot plead the blood? And they just get defensive. Hallelujah. What is it about your theology that is so fragile that it cannot be explained? Why can't I ask? I'm just asking. First of all, why pleading? What does it mean? Why are you pleading? Why must you be begging all the time? What, what is the pleading doing there? I'm just asking, like, do you understand what you're saying? Doesn't it bother you, or at least catch your attention, that no one in the early church prayed that way? Not Peter, not Paul, not James, not John. No one ever pleaded the blood. It doesn't bother you? It should. And if you're saying it doesn't matter, then are you a student of the word of God or a student of traditions of men? Make up your mind now. And then some people, you know, without thinking, will just bring up some texts as a defense. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Well, he says they overcame. So he's not, he's not talking about a present continuous activity for your day-to-day -day spiritual warfare. When he says they overcame, he's talking about a specific event. He's talking about the sacrifice of Christ. He's talking about redemption. When Christ died for me, I overcame. Do you see that? So now, every time the blood was mentioned in the Bible, it wasn't for warfare, but for redemption. When it comes to warfare, I function in the name. He says, in my name they shall cast out devils. That's what he said. That's what he said. Isn't that what he said? Yes, or maybe when he was saying that he had not, Jesus had not caught the mystery of the blood yet. 
かっつって<笑>ハレルヤ You know you are growing when you are okay with the word of God You are not, you are not looking forward to go beyond what is written Are you aware that most cults are called religious cults because in their operations they use scriptures out of context How many of you have heard of what I'm talking about I mean occultists that use scriptures but out of context So well, as a child of God, you should beg to differ. Praise the Lord. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for evidence. My evidence of truth is in the word of God. For correction. So The moment you can prove to me in the Bible I'm corrected. When you get to that point truth is not defined by what is popular. Truth is not defined by what you consider to be strange. Truth is not defined by what is old or what is new. Truth is defined by what the word of God says. So years ago I made up my mind. In fact, there was a time someone said something. And somehow I didn't think it was correct. But because his doctrine is not about thinking. I can't say I don't think you are right. Because I'm a student of the word of God. The guy gave scriptures and at that time i couldn't you know tell that what he was saying was wrong so i held my peace and i did what every good bible student should do i said i'm going to study on this and get back to you but what i will never do is to say you are wrong without a clear reason in the word of god and if i studied and i could not find any fault in what he was saying no matter how uncomfortable it is it's the word of god hallelujah so this is bigger than your experience your tradition your background the denomination in which you grew up in this is the word of god give it some honor scripture is given by inspiration of god is profitable for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness hallelujah It says that the man of god may be thoroughly furnished and prepared to every good work and then look at the first verse of the next chapter you see A lot of people fail to realize that when the Bible was originally written, it was not written in chapters and verses. So, 
they think chapter 1 is saying something totally different from chapter 2. But these books are letters. In fact, hardly do you read letters halfway. When someone writes you a letter, is that how you read letters? You read four lines. You now sleep, wake up the next day. Read another four lines. Is that how you read letters? Will you understand what the person said? And so stop reading the Bible that way. Make sure you don't lose the flow of thoughts. So now he tells you this, and then he comes to chapter 4. And he says, I charge thee therefore. Based on the integrity of the word of God, I give you this charge, this instruction. Come on, are you following this? And when you see what Paul said, you know what he's about to say is very important. If someone comes to you and starts his statement this way, you know what he's about to say is very serious. He says, I charge thee therefore before God. <laughs> before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick. What does it mean quick? Is he talking about Usain Bolt? It's the same word from which we have quickened. Who shall judge the living and the dead that is appearing in his kingdom? So he's about to say something and he says, I charge you based on what I said about the word of God. I give you this charge, this instruction. By God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead. So he's telling him what I am saying he will give account when Christ comes. Is that serious? And you're like, what's so serious? What's he about to say now? Look at the next verse. He says, preach the word. Now that you know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, I give you this charge before God. Because you know how valuable this word is. How important this word is. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Young preacher, preach the word. It says be instant. In season and out of season. When people feel like hearing it and when they don't. Can I tell you something? As a preacher, I've learned that not many people know a good sermon. As a preacher, I cannot know that I preached well when people say, ah, I was blessed. Because, of course, Celebration Church, you are grown. But imagine, as an itinerant minister, I want to judge and assess myself based on the response of people. You cannot be a faithful preacher that way, looking for responses of people. You can't. Hallelujah. Because sometimes, what you're saying is correct, but they don't know. Maybe they're not used to it. Maybe you know what? They're hearing it for the first time. So they feel that pinch. They're not comfortable with it. But it's true. So I have to have such loyalty to the word of God such that I know that what I am saying is true whether people clap for me or not. I am happy with the word of God. Not with the applauses of men. Not with the responses of people. He said to Timothy, he says, preach the word. Not a word. <laughs> Not our word. <laughs> he says the word, meaning there's a definite doctrine. He 
He asks me to be instant, in season and out of season. Hallelujah. The first time I said in this church, years ago, I said, if you don't touch, no devourer will devour you. You know, after the service, someone came to tell me, he said, a first-timer vowed never to step into this church again. Well, she's changed her mind. She's come. It's not easy to leave Celebration Church. Where will you go? <laughs> but the fact is this. Years before all the noise and, you know, some of you, you became persuaded when it became popular. You see that? And even what the popular voice is saying is extreme, but you don't know. So sooner or later, you will have to sit with the word. Praise the Lord. It says, in season and out of season. Glory be to God. And that's why <laughs> when I started out in ministry, I didn't make too many friends. Because there's a way friendship can give you this sense, you don't want to hurt this other person. Do you understand? I wanted to fo do you understand? focus on my focus. So, so that when I preach the word of God, you won't say, I'm calling you out. I don't know you. I don't know. I'm busy. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. And then what did he say? Reprove. Why did he say that? Because the scripture is given for reproof. <laughs> reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And he tells you why. Verse 3. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Listen, say this with me. I can endure sound doctrine. Ah, you know, there are some people, they hear the word of God and their reflex to think on what you said is lower than their reflex to argue. Have you seen people like that? I was trying to talk to someone. <laughs> Days ago, He's a pastor and I love him very much. But he will ask a question. As I'm answering it, he'll just interrupt and ask another one from what I'm answering. And we went on for two hours. We made no headway. So after a while, I kept quiet. I allowed him to finish. And I said, I wish that all this while you would have allowed me to answer the first thing you mentioned. He said, oh, that's true. Some people are just like that. Have, have you seen people who are unpersuadable? They will not agree. Even if you prove to them and it's clear like this, the truth you hold them, they, they say no. <laughs> Unpersuadableness. But the student of the word of God is persuadable. Say that with me, I'm persuadable. I'm persuadable. Hallelujah. 
At the reboot camp this year, I'm going to talk extensively on that. I'm going to explain what the Bible means by hardness of hearts. And so many other things. But you have to be persuadable. Don't be the kind of person that God cannot entreat. Even the word of God cannot entreat. Say that again, I'm persuadable. Hallelujah. Ask the person by your side, say, are you persuadable? Yeah, that's important because difficult people cannot grow spiritually. Sentimental people cannot grow spiritually. Excessively traditional people cannot grow spiritually. They just can't. But the preacher of the word is asked to preach the word. Season and out of season. Say loud, amen. amen. Now someone says, well, why does this matter? And I'm going to show you something that struck my heart years ago. It's a story in the Bible. Turn the Bible is Matthew chapter 23, verse 29. Matthew chapter 23, verse 29. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Jesus is talking. He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! He called them hypocrites. And you, you're going to see why. He said, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. You see, prophets of old were killed. Isaiah, for instance, was sown asunder. I mean, they divided him into two. They hated him that much. And now, many years after, the scribes and the Pharisees, they built a wonderful tomb for him and for all the other prophets, celebrating them, you know, putting flowers and crying. <laughs> and saying, ah, if it had been, in, if we were in those days, we would not have joined them. They did the wrong things. And Jesus saw them and said, hypocrites! What you doing garnishing the tombs of the prophets and lying that you would have done different had you been in their day? See what he says in verse 31. He says, Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which killed the prophets. He says, you are their children. And you are going to prove it. Now, Jesus was predicting that they would kill him too. You are crying that they killed the prophets of old, but you're going to kill the prophets, not just the prophet, but the son of God in your own generation. The question is, how did Jesus know? Do you understand my question? They had not he even arrested him at the time. So, how did he know? Because... What made their fathers arrest the prophets was their lack of persuadableness to the word of God. And Jesus saw that same trait with the scribes and Pharisees. 
listen, if you are not persuadable, you will fight God without knowing. Did you hear what I said? You need to understand how big an issue it is that you sit on the high horse of tradition. People try to explain. Have you seen churches today? The moment, you know, you start even maybe attending conferences where they preach grace, they kick you out. Have you seen churches like that? If you remain unpersuadable, you will fight God without knowing. So, that's the same trait that has been there from the beginning. They killed the prophets of old. They killed Jesus. They killed all the disciples. All. At least the eleven. Only one of them survived. You know, John lived to an old age, but they tried to kill him. They threw him one time in a pot of hot oil. Imagine the wickedness. And listen, they thought they were the children of God, that they were making God happy. These people are blasphemous. And they were not. They were teaching the truth. But because these guys were not willing to just sit down and listen, so today, when you hear me explaining, plead the blood, plead the blood, and you're just, what's this pastor saying? And then you just switch off for the end of the service. It is that same attitude that killed Jesus. That same attitude. Jesus kept challenging them. In John chapter 5, he says, set the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. They testify of me. It says, all that I'm saying, all that I'm here to do, the scripture has spoken about it. If you doubt, just search. But no. Peter said, you killed the prince of life. Hallelujah. Say, I'm persuadable. And that's what repentance is. A lot of people don't know. A lot of people think they have repented because they've dropped old habits, and that's good. They've stopped some unrighteous things they used to do before, and that's good. But until you become persuadable, you have not truly repented, because that's what repentance truly means. It means to change your mind. Greek word metanoia. M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A. To have a change of heart. To turn from unbelief. That's what it means. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 verse 31. I'm going to have to move fast now. Matthew 21 from verse 31. I'm going to start from the second part of it so that you can get the flow of thoughts. He says, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. I've, I've read this to you a countless number of times, right? But look at the next verse. He says, For John came unto you 
in the way of righteousness. What does it mean? He was showing him the way of righteousness. He says, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And when ye, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that he might believe him. So here in this text, what is repentance? Was he talking about, oh, you drink alcohol, you need to repent? Is that what he was talking about? Was he saying, oh, you sleep around and you need to stop that? And of course, if you sleep around, you need to stop that. But is that what he was saying here? No. He's talking about changing your mind, being persuadable. John came to you in the way of righteousness you did not believe. The publicans and the harlots believed. And even then, you did not repent and believe. Meaning, you didn't change your mind. So repentance actually means to turn away from unbelief, to change your mind. Look at the verses just before, the same chapter. Verse 28. Jesus gives an illustration. He says, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go walk today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. Come on, are you with me? Afterwards, he did what? Repented from what? He's refusing to succumb to the instructions of the Father. Come on, do you see that? That's what repentance truly is. No wonder Jesus and John preached and said, repent and believe the gospel. That's what they were actually saying. Stop this superfluity of stubbornness and naughtiness and receive the engrafted word. Repent. That's what it means. Think about it. Jesus was teaching them and he says, John came to you in the way of righteousness. So John was preaching righteousness. His baptism was a symbol of his sermon. But a lot of people thought it was about the water. It wasn't. That water was a message. I've taught you that before, haven't I? Look at Acts chapter 19 verse 4. Look at what Paul said. Acts chapter 19 verse 4. I'm going to move very quickly now. Acts chapter 19 verse 4. It says, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying, Come on, are you with me? So that baptism was a message saying unto the people that they should believe on him. It was a message of faith. Believe on him which would come after him that is on Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. It was a message of spiritual baptism. When they were dipped into the water, it was symbolic of the fact that Jesus was going to die and those who believe would die in him and be buried in him. And when they are brought out of the water, it was, a, it was symbolic of the fact that we'll be raised in Christ. It was a message of salvation. And that's why you see 
First of all, that's the only way you can understand the justification for the baptism of Jesus. Why was Jesus baptized? Because it was a message of salvation. It was his baptism. Praise the Lord. So he's dipped into the water signifying his death and our death in him. He's brought out signifying his resurrection. And what happened after that? The Bible says the, the heavens were opened. The voice of the Lord thundered, saying, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. And then the Spirit of God, like a dove, descended. That's the redemptive story. We believe the gospel, we're buried in Christ, we're raised up to justification, we're declared righteous by God, we receive the Holy Spirit. So that was actually a redemptive message. And I'm going to prove it to you. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, from verse 7, the Bible tells us something interesting. It tells us that the Pharisees came to John's baptism to be baptized. And well, if John the Baptist thought that they were bad people, he would have just baptized them since baptism is for repentance. But let me read the story to you and you will see something standing out here. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, All generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come, he says, Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. Now that's confusing. If water baptism was repentance, they came to be baptized. But now you're telling them, Bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Meaning there was more to repentance than the water. Is that simple enough? And look at what he says next. And think not to say within yourself, we have Abraham our father. I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now, the, now also the axe is laid at the foot of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You see that? Don't come to me if you don't receive the Christ. That's what he's saying. That's what he meant when he says, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. It, this that I'm doing is for those who believe in Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus. So what are you doing here? The water is not going to do anything for you. So true repentance was not being immersed into water. It was believing the message. Come on, are you here? That's what true repentance is. And you see that even in the way preaching was done in the early church. You will notice something. Every time Peter preached, in Acts chapter 2, he preached repentance. In Acts chapter 3, he preached repentance. In Acts chapter 4, but when the same Peter went to Cornelius' house, he didn't mention repentance at all. Now the question is why? Because you preach repentance to unpersuadable people, people who have heard the gospel before, 
and still were not persuaded. Cornelius was hearing the gospel for the first time. So repentance was not about turning away from sins. It's about someone believing something that he found hard to believe before. Do you understand that? So when he was preaching, when he was preaching in Acts chapter 2, let me just read it to you so that you follow the train of thoughts. Acts chapter 2 from verse 36. It says, therefore, come on in the screen. Is it on the screen? I'm moving very fast so that uh, I can cover what I have for you. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made this same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, that's a guilt trip. And look at what happened next. In the next verse, everybody read together, want to go. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So, question, why were they pricked in their hearts? They felt guilty. Because he said, you've killed the Son of God. And so they felt guilty. This same Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. And so they felt like, ah, Motishe. Did I try? <laughs> so they said, what shall we do? And then he said, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remissions of sins. But in Cornelius' house, he didn't say repent at all. He just preached Cornelius believed and he was saved. But the Jews needed to repent because the same Jesus had entreated them before. They were hardened. They killed him. So he's saying, change your mind. You were wrong. You were wrong. Hallelujah. It's just like modern day example. We saw the UEFA fixture. Barcelona was meant to play Manchester United. And some, you know, one guy in his church named Shola kept bragging. And I kept telling him, you know, everybody knows Barcelona is a better team. He didn't answer. After first leg, I told him, repent. That's repentance. He has repented now, I'm sure. I'm going to buy him a Liverpool jersey. <laughs> anyway, you get the point. Pastor K. Hallelujah. Shall glory! So the reason he preached repentance to the Jews is because they killed Jesus. He was trying to guilt trip. Look at what someone said in Acts chapter 5 verse 28. Acts chapter 5 verse 28. This is very interesting. Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach any in, in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You are making us feel guilty. 
You keep saying we killed him, we killed him, we killed him. What's this about? Because when Peter was preaching, he kept insisting, you killed the prince of life, you killed the prince of life. And that's repentance. You did the wrong thing. So change. Change your mental position. Hallelujah. And that's what it means to be converted. He used that word also in chapter 3 verse 19. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted. The Greek word actually means to turn around. This was my position before, but... You know, hallelujah. Before I was shouting back, 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 but now <laughs> I'm focusing on the word of God. Nobody will give me unnecessary high blood pressure. Amen. The word and the spirit, but follow the trend, they killed prophets of old. They killed Jesus. They killed the saints. Can I tell you something? If you are not persuadable, you are a murderer waiting to happen. Yes. Because like I said already, you will fight God vehemently without knowing. Without knowing. Look at Look at John chapter 16, verse 2. Look at what Jesus said. Look at what Jesus said. Everybody read John 16, verse 2 together. One, two, go. Hold this for me. Did you read that? out of the synagogues. I mean, it's happening today. You just take a stand for the word of God, they kick you out. But that's not even the part that I want to emphasize. It says, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he's doing God's service. You see that? So they really wanted to please God. But they were not students of the word of God. So God was in operation in these people and they didn't see it and they killed them. And felt, ah, God must be really proud. God must be, can I tell you something? You cannot know Jesus by anything physical. There is no way to identify him, how tall he was, the kind of hair he had, the hairstyle, the relaxer on his hair, the kind of cloth he wore. The only way to discern the Son of God is through the Word of God. And so if you are not a student of the Word of God, you are not a student of Christ. If you reject the Word of God, you have rejected Christ. This is so important. There is no way to know God outside the word of God. Didn't you hear? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 14 it says, the word was made flesh. That Jesus was the yes and the amen of God. The amen of God's word. That's who he is. The so be it of God's word. 
And so if you reject the word of God, you've rejected Christ. Any devotion outside of firm conviction in the word of God is a figment of your imagination. Many people are worshipping idols and they don't know. Because the God that they worship is not the God of the Bible. And when you try to show it to them, they argue. Praise the Lord. Say, I'm a student of the Word of God. Say, I can endure sound doctrine. I can take it. Hallelujah. There is nothing properly exegeted in the Word of God that is beyond you. It was written for you. So you, you, you have to make up your mind today, not tomorrow, to be teachable. If you, if you really love Jesus, you will love his word. He said, if you love me, it's, it's not just by worship. I won't trade you for silver or gold. And you're doing it every day. Because he said, if you will love me, you will keep my commandment. You will keep my words. Be a student of the word of God. Hallelujah. All right. Have you learned anything? Yes, so this will be my final words. You know, churches all over the world, they treat sin like a big deal, and sin is a big deal. But the real bigger deal is falsehood. Can I tell you something? Jesus had more tolerance for sinners than for false teachers. Study how he treated sinners. The woman at the well, the woman with the alabaster box, Zacchaeus, tax collectors, publicans. But check how he spoke to Pharisees. Different, have About them, he said, every tree that my heavenly father has not planted will be what? So, if you are a, a, if you are a student of the word of God, one thing we will see in your life is honor for the... You're not going to joke. Doctrine? You know, sometimes when people see you, insisting on the truth. They're just like, allow people believe what they want. That's not how to be a student of the word of God. If you tolerate falsehood, it does, it's, not, it's not a sign of, it's not love work. It's a sign of immaturity. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. I mean, it's right there. Is, is, it, is this even proof of something that is clear? It's not a sign of love work to say let people believe what they want. That's not love. 
No spiritual person will joke with words. Everything you see came to be by words. So it, is, it matters what is said. It matters how it is said. It matters when it is said. The spirit realm is a business of words. There are some things you shouldn't sit down and listen to. You shouldn't be able to. That tolerance for falsehood is not love. It's immaturity. There are some words that should make you cry. When someone says, anybody who does not pay his tithe will not make heaven. Do you know how serious that is? Do you think this is about semantics? Do you realize that that message is an affront to the gospel, to the redemptive work of Christ? You think that tithe is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who tithes? Is that what the Bible says? I, listen, I can respect a person and disagree on the word. Because the word of God is bigger than all of us. Say loud, amen. amen. Never trade loyalty to the word for loyalty to any man. Glory be to God. Check the history of the early church. It was honor for men that caused the most trouble. Some of you have not noticed something. When did all this talk about circumcision and all this thing arise in the early church? We're reading the book of Acts. The Bible says many people were coming to Christ. Good. Men of reputation were coming to Christ. Good. And then we are told that Pharisees were becoming obedient to the faith. So they believed, but they came with all those traditions. And they were still very popular. And they were like, okay, we believe, we believe. Okay, Jesus is the one. But they came in and caused trouble. In the same chapter, you are told that they became obedient to the faith. We are told there was great contention. And it's just because of the honor of men. Hallelujah. And so, we, the Bible needed someone that was, you know, when Paul came, he said, <laughs> he said, I saw some <laughs> who taught themselves to be pillars. I withstood Peter to the face because he was to be blamed. Do you know what it means to have written about that in that day? That Peter, we honor you. You know, you ate with Jesus. You know, you went about with him. Hallelujah. But even someone like you can be wrong. And you are wrong. Say loud, amen. amen. So this is very important. Say that with me. I'm a student of the word of God. Now, how does this concern children? <laughs> I'll show you. Very simple. Go again. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where we all started. All that I said is a commentary on 2 Timothy 3, 16. 
It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Look at the verse before it. Verse 15. See what he said to Timothy. He says, and that from a child, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, come on here. When we're talking about all scripture given by inspiration of God, we're not talking about something exclusive to adults alone. This all scripture that he was talking about, Timothy knew it since he was a child. It's for children too. Never say they won't understand. They are too young. It's not true. If you stay with children long enough, I'm a, I'm a child lover. I just can't help it. I, I follow children's pages on IG. Just to see children laughing and feel happy. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm very, you know, before I had my own children, I used to embarrass myself in the morning when I see cute kids. And, <laughs> and you know, parents these days don't know who to trust. So they used to look at me funny. But well, now I have my own soul. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so those ones, I used to disturb them, just grab them, kiss them for no reason. Or hug it tight. <laughs> Hallelujah. Very important. But if you have been with children long enough, you'll be amazed the level of their understanding. You know, I was spending some time with my uncle. This was years ago, 2005. I was preparing for Waek. So I was, I, was, I was staying with him. Someone shouted. Okay, I'm old. Ah. Well, what can I say? So, you know, and then one morning, my aunt was bathing her son. This boy was, I think, five at the time. And I could hear the conversation. So that morning, the boy said, Toyosi, Toyosi said, Mommy, Daddy doesn't love us, right? And she said, why would you say so? He said, because every morning he will just wake up, wear his clothes, and go to work and come back night, at night. He does not care about us. Can you imagine that? You know, before the, the man actually genuinely was busy. You know how he can be working in Lagos. But when he heard it, he told his boss, Sack me. I'm not coming to work tomorrow. <laughs> he took the boy around, brought him ice cream, spent him. Ah. Can you imagine at that age, that conclusion? If he doesn't spend time with us, he doesn't care about us. It's only you I know. Mommy, daddy doesn't care about us. Ha! <laughs> Praise the Lord. My daughter, Edima, she's already used to it. When she has maybe something like a stomach ache, daddy, my stomach is paining me. It's because uh, daddy prays for the sick. It's common knowledge for her. And she expects to receive. She many, and what I'm telling you has happened more than 30 times. She will come back two minutes later and say, Daddy, my stomach is not paining me again. 
So we say, oh, praise God. Hallelujah. She understands healing. I'm not the one who administers drugs to her when she needs to use drugs. So she's coming to me for the prayer. Daddy, my stomach. She, and when she comes, she'll raise her shirt. Like, <laughs> yeah, do your thing. Raise it. Put your hand. They understand. Don't say they don't understand. When you wake up and, you know, these things, it took me a while. You know? I remember when my daughter just newly started talking. She was looking for me one day in the house, entered the room and saw me crying. I was praying. And she was so shocked. And she said, Daddy, what happened? You know, so, and then I, I didn't know what to say, you know. But now you explain it to them. You say, I'm crying because I love Jesus so much. Don't say they won't understand. Sit her down. Say, you see, Jesus changed my life. Hallelujah. And say, son, daughter, you need to believe in him. Don't say they won't understand. They might not even understand at the time you say it. But later... When you wake up in the morning, don't just pray, do your own devotion. Call them aside. Hallelujah. In fact, my daughter and my wife, they have a ritual. Before she goes to school, confessions. Say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Jesus loves me. Every morning. Hallelujah. It says, from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, able to make you wise unto salvation. And I want to challenge the parents here. There is no greater way to be a success as a parent than to raise your children in the way of the Lord. Listen. My mother, hey, God, I forgot she's here. I will tell you another day. <laughs> okay, let me just say it. I believe that if all that she did was to make sure I grew up in a proper environment and I grew to know Jesus, she's a success. She can stand before Jesus. I believe in a sense that everything I'm doing today will be accrued to account. Do you understand that? Just think about it. Just, just imagine if, as I was trying to focus on the gospel, I was still battling my parents, you know, because when I finished, I said, God has called me. Thank you. I'm going. Imagine, you know, like... Like there was someone I was training for ministry, and the mother called me. He said, if you don't stop that boy from preaching, I will run into your church naked. It's, it's an irony. Listen, true life story. It's an irony that many parents just can't take their children standing for Christ. They can't take it. They can't take it. Hallelujah. You know, in Abuja, I laid hands on someone, you know, he fell flat to the floor. 
was speaking in tongues, you know, went home with that same fire, was praying the next morning. The father opened the door and said, when did this one start? This is getting too deep. Uh-uh. You prefer that he, he, you know, that he goes to the club. That's what you prefer. You prefer drug addiction. Many parents are angry that their children love the Lord. They fight them. Your children want to go to church programs. You fight them. Be different. Come on, are you all listening to me? And you don't, some of you, you're not even close to marriage yet, but still listen, because this is the time to start making up your mind about the kind of parent you will be. That from a child, he will know the scriptures. Say loud, amen. amen. And that was Timothy's story. You know, earlier on in the book, Paul had spoken about his history. And I want to read it to you as I prepare to round off. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. That's the first chapter. He says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, we dwelt first in thy grandmother, and thy mother Eunice. Uh, look at it. He says, I'm persuaded that in thee also, that in thee also. He says, the faith of his grandmother, so his grandmother was faithful in the Lord. Trained her daughter to be faithful in the Lord. The daughter trained Timothy to be faithful in the Lord. What a story. What a family. What are you going to pass down to your children? This prayer life that you still haven't built, is this how you want to raise children? This spiritual life that you're still struggling about, is that how you want to raise children? Be prepared before they come. Hallelujah. He talked about grandmother to mother to Timothy. So now, Timothy is a young preacher with history. Your faith will affect your children. It will. So do the right thing. Young people, this is a good opportunity to tell you. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said, let no one despise your youth. But be an example of the believer. Hallelujah. Listen, I'm never too young to be a Christian. Never. Never too young to obey God. Never too young to be a preacher of the gospel. Never. It says, be an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Let no one despise your youth. Say that with me, no one will despise my youth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Say, I'm an example of the believers. Hallelujah. So no matter your age, you can rep the Lord Jesus Christ 
in that classroom. Let the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone make you ashamed for it. You know, in my secondary school, I was stupid. <laughs> I mean that. Because there is something that happened I'm still angry about. Some guys were talking in a place. They were saying rubbish. You know, so I didn't know they were saying rubbish. But I came to hear what they were saying. And they said, ah, no, 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 don't let us spoil you. And when they said that, I felt bad. Ah, what do you mean? <laughs> I was spoiled. <laughs> Some people would throw away their values just to feel among. Don't be insecure. Be secure in Christ. Years later, things had changed. So I entered the room and someone smacked and said, hmm, born again. I said, hmm, born against. <laughs> what do you mean? Do you, you expect me to feel sad that I'm going to live forever and you're not? Oh my God. I'm sad. I will live forever. Who oh, are you? You're going to die. Oh. Hallelujah. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. That power is efficacious in children. It's efficacious in young people. Raise them up in the knowledge of the word of God. Hallelujah. So on that note, I'm bringing the service to a close. I just want to pray briefly for every child here. Can they be brought forward? Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.